Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The most important area where close enough is not good enough is in our own spiritual walk and in particular in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of folks that feel that they can maintain the rituals and the ceremonies of Christendom. They believe that they can just simply try to be good and do good deeds, be kind to animals, uh, take care of your neighbors where the needs are and all of these things. And that will be found close enough when it comes to eternal purposes. One of the biggest deceptions that Satan levies against us is the idea that we're basically good and surely God will grant us a pass for our good behavior. It's an easy pill to swallow, but the truth we learn in Scripture is that all of us were born into sin and deserving of eternal judgment. As Pastor David emphasizes in today's message, just living a life that somewhat resembles righteousness isn't good enough. We need the righteousness that only can be achieved through the blood of Jesus. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Close, But Not Close Enough. believe that there's any doubt that uh, uh, any of us would have that our society as a whole is, is, is changing. And in many ways, it's, it's digressing rather than improving. We, we become a society in many ways where close enough is good enough. To where, again, excellence is, is being pushed to the side and, and in, 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 in multiple of areas, including our own personal lives, close enough becomes good enough for us and for whatever subject, whatever direction that we're going. Someone has said one time uh, that uh, close enough is good enough in horseshoes and perhaps in hand grenades. You know, you throw a hand grenade, you know, within a few feet, it's going to do its duty. Well, I guess we could expand that to say atomic bombs. Close enough is good enough for that. You get within the neighborhood, it's going to do its business. But there's definitely some places where close enough doesn't do the trick. You don't want your brain surgeon to be close enough. Amen? Uh, Alan, you just had uh, eye surgery. You don't want that doctor to be close enough. You want him to do exactly what he is supposed to do. But the most important area where close enough is not good enough is in our own spiritual walk, and in particular, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of folks that feel that they can maintain the rituals and the ceremonies of Christendom. They believe that they can just simply try to be good and do good deeds, be kind to animals, uh, take care of your neighbors where the needs are, and all of these things. And that will be found close enough when it comes to eternal purposes. 
Well, beloved, I want to submit to you this morning that the Bible is filled with warnings from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament that close enough is not good enough. Word tells us in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end therein leads to death. Beloved, when we come to this idea of our spiritual lives, our relationship with Christ, excellence is what the Lord desires in our lives. Excellence, not close enough, not ritual, not ceremony, but a thriving, growing, focused relationship with the God of all glory. So the question needs to be asked, how close are you? Are you close enough? We're in Luke, the gospel of Luke. As we've gone through uh, the book of Luke, we are now in chapter 22. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22 this morning. We're only going to be covering a a few short verses, but hopefully these verses will uh, uh, speak some uh, impact into each one of our lives this morning. Luke chapter 22. Luke writes in Luke 22, beginning in verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, speaking of killing Jesus, for they feared the people. And then Satan entered Judas, surname Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And so he went his way and he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give him money, so he promised and sought opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of the multitude. This was during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, It says where the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near the Passover time. And again, we look at these, and you have to have some kind of an understanding, some kind of a background of what these feasts mean, the the significance of the timing of these days to really get the, the full understanding of what's being spoken here. There were three primary feasts within Judaism that all Jewish men were required to come at least once a year to the temple to be able to celebrate these feasts there in Jerusalem. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jewish males making that pilgrimage into Jerusalem. Uh, They were these holy convocations. They were special. They were designated days. They were in addition to, and actually they were more sacred than your weekly Sabbath day as they would come and celebrate these feasts of the Lord. It was during these times that the population of Jerusalem, man, they they would swell to overflowing, absolutely mass chaos and and hecticness within the city of Jerusalem, particularly on the Temple Mount, but even spilling out from Jerusalem to the surrounding areas and the surrounding towns and villages. The streets and the marketplaces of the city, and in particular, the temple area, would have been absolute chaos. It would have been like Black Friday for a whole week, you know, Black Friday in Walmart for a whole week there in, in Jerusalem. You, 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 you're supposed to be there, but you don't really want to be there, but you want to be there, but, but it's crazy being there in the midst of it all. The first of these feasts is called the Feast of Passover, but closely connected to the, pa- and we'll be speaking about Passover in, in, in the next sessions as we go through this chapter, but closely connected to Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And unleavened bread, that's the bread without yeast. Uh, leaven is the word that uh, uh, they use within the Scripture, speaking of, of yeast. 
And according to the Levitical law written by Moses, Passover was to be celebrated on the 14th of Nisan, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread continued from the 15th on to the 21st for the next seven days. Well, in preparation for both Passover as well as for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, each household, each business, and the temple itself would go through this extreme ritualistic cleansing time. They wanted to remove every bit and everything that had leaven in it, every bit of leaven, every bit of yeast, and everything that would have yeast in it, they wanted to remove from their homes, their businesses, and from the temple. Uh, and, and again, what was yeast within our scriptures symbolic of? Sin. And so during this time of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, getting rid of it in every way. And the Jews were very serious about this whole matter. And they took great effort to be certain that those places were completely cleansed and purged totally of all yeast or, or leaven. Many times, though, they would leave a small amount in a, in a, in a pretty uh, uh, visible space because it was part of the work with the children. Children, you need to help us. Look around for the leaven. Look around for the yeast. Remove it from the house. And so it became part of the ritual that the children would go find uh, uh, some of the yeast, sweep it up, and take it and throw it outside of the home, getting rid of it. Symbolic of removing sin out of the home, out of the family, out of the business, and certainly out of the temple. And so on the outside, in a ceremonial, in a ritualistic way, these chief priests, these scribes that we just read about that are conniving together with Judas to murder Jesus, these men would have been certain that their homes and their families were without leaven, without yeast, symbolically being without sin. And yet at the same time, these same ones that were so focused ritualistically, ceremonially, religiously to remove this material of yeast, they themselves are the very ones that were seeking how they might put Jesus of Nazareth to death. Their plans for his murder, they had to, it had to be done in secret. It had to be done discreetly. They, uh, they, they moved around at this point like common thieves, like murderers, very clandestine in all of this, not only for fear of rioting, but also, after all, don't forget, these were the holy men of God, these cheap priests. And so as they were doing this act of murder during this time where they've removed all quote-unquote sin from their homes, acting like common thieves, secretly, discreetly moving around, they were the ones that had to appear as though they were close to God. And yet the reality was, they were far from Him. These men were filled with religion. They were, they were filled with ceremony. They seemed to be so close to God, yet in actuality, they weren't close at all. Were they close? Yeah, but not close enough. Across their lives is the word fail in this whole area of coming close and being close to God. Within the lives of these chief priests, of the scribes, of these, uh, again, these, these scribes, the, the guards, all of these, these captains that are there, all of these, they thought that they had a plan that was all worked out. This, uh, the evil spirit within, of, of Satan had, had come in and was moving so strongly within the black hearts of these men. That all they needed was just that perfect opportunity to capture Jesus away from the 
crowds. And so Satan made them a way to connect with someone very close to Jesus. Close, but again, not close enough. The man Judas Iscariot, one of the Galileans' rabbis, one of his close followers, even one of the ones that was called an apostle. Do you realize that? Judas was an apostle. Do you realize that Judas was sent out with the other disciples and the other apostles ministering and healing and delivering from demonic oppression and possession? Judas was among all of those. He was so close. But we know from the Scriptures he wasn't close enough. Scripture make it very clear for us here in verse 3 that Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. How did that look? How did that work out practically for someone to be so close to Jesus and yet for Satan to enter him? Well, let's look for a moment at Judas Iscariot. Let's look at the character of this one that was so close to Jesus. Let's look at his ambition. Let's look at his destiny. What do we know about him? Well, first of all, he was somebody's son. That's an important thing to think about. Whenever we read through the Scripture and we look at these characters, you've got to realize he's, he's come from a, a father and a mother. What's the situation? What is the background there? Well, we know from John's Gospel that Judas's father was named Simon. John's gospel record brings that out more than, than all of the others. Uh, John shares with us on three different occasions that it was Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, we don't know which Simon this was. He doesn't really, uh, in, anywhere in Scripture does it, again, give us greater detail of which Simon he is speaking of here. Uh, again, was, was, was it somebody that, that the apostles knew? Was it somebody that the early church was familiar with? Maybe he himself, maybe Simon, Judas' father, maybe he was a believer. We really don't know. But let me ask you this, if Simon was a believer, how difficult do you think that would have been for him to find out that his son is Judas, the betrayer of Christ? Can that happen? Yeah. I think the worst heartbreak of all situations is the son or the daughter of someone, a parent it's a committed believer. And then that son or that daughter later goes against the things of God. It's a heartbreak. How it must have broke the heart of an innocent or in particular a Christian parent. If that were the case, that their son becomes Judas. We have no record of his mother, but Judas's last name is, is possible designation of the place of his ancestry. There's a, there's a town called Kerioth in, in Moab, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so it actually could have been, his last name could have actually been a, a designation of where he is from, Judas Ish Kerioth. Ish Kerioth, meaning from Kerioth, a possibility. Some have speculated that Iscariot could have been uh, really uh, a, a title or a description of him more than a name because Iscariot is also very close to an Arabic word that's translated into the English as assassin. It's definitely fitting, but there's nothing certain on that. He's Judas Iscariot. That's all we know. In the list of the disciples, though, in every gospel account, Judas Iscariot's name is always the last one to be listed. But then, of course, we understand that the gospel accounts, they were written after all of these things took place. And can you imagine if you're one of the 
apostles and one of the even one of the writers of the gospel accounts say take John for instance who was an apostle who wrote the, one of the gospel accounts and he's listing the number of apostles and their names and then at the very end at the end of all that oh yeah and Judas Iscariot he was one of us too you got to understand by that time the deed had been done and to list him even as one of the apostles had to be difficult but above all things we know, above all things that we can speculate about Judas, I feel the most important thing we need to truly remember at this point is, is that Jesus chose Judas. Do you understand that? Jesus chose Judas to be one of his followers. And he chose him with full understanding of what was going to happen. He had full understanding of who he was and the condition of Judas's heart. And again, from John's gospel record, we read the words of Jesus. Jesus declaring, did I not choose you, the 12? And one of you is a devil. Yikes. It's interesting to note that Jesus, the one who knew the hearts of all men, not only did he choose Judas to be among the 12, but he actually chose him to be the, the, the bookkeeper, the treasurer for the group. And you and I now, this side, we look at that and say, are you kidding me? That's the last guy that I would allow. But Jesus knew when he appointed him, when he put him in that place. John's gospel shares the account of how he regularly pilfered the accounts for his own personal profit. Again, I don't believe that any of this was missed by our Lord in any, in, in any way, form, or fashion. It was in reference to Judas that John writes of Jesus' words saying, but there are some of you, speaking to and about his disciples, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Close, but definitely not close enough. But can you agree with me this morning that there are times when the Lord does things that you and I, we can't even begin to understand why? Lord, that does not make sense at all. And maybe in your own personal life, that, that very thing. Lord, this, this makes no logical sense within my life or my family's life. This makes no logical sense. I can't understand the other side of this. Why are you doing these things? And beloved, these things will absolutely drive us batty if we try to pursue an understanding because they just will never make sense. We will never understand the whys of these things until the other side, until we get to the side of heaven and then we're going to see and we're going to know as we're known and we're going to say, wow, that really messed me up for a while because I didn't trust God in that. That, 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 that really caused me some, some, some great problems in my life because I didn't just simply say, God, you are the sovereign of all nations. You are all-powerful. You are omnipotent. You are all-knowing. You're omniscient. And, and Lord, I surrender my life to you. I don't understand this. I don't, I, I, I don't agree with it in, in the flesh. But Lord, I'm surrendered wholly and completely to you. 
things that we need to simply surrender into his care, knowing that he cares for us and knowing that he is the great sovereign of all the universe. And the fact is, in all that he is and all the knowledge that he has, guess what? He still loves you and I, too. And that's the most amazing thing. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm glad you understand. I'm glad I'm not the only one in the boat. Okay. (laughs) In all of this, gang, I'm reminded that the Lord sees. And the Lord knows every situation of our lives. And beloved, I want to tell you this morning that the Lord is saying to you, I've got this thing. I've got this thing. There's no need for you to worry. There's no need for you to stress. Surrender to me. I've got this thing. I can handle it. Judas, the the betrayer, that we can't even imagine how, why, what, when, can't even fathom all that's going on there. He contracted with the chief priests and the captains of the temple guards to give them a time and a place where they could come out and arrest Jesus without the crowds. What would be the practical reason? Why in the world would a man do that? Why in the world would he come and, and betray someone that he'd walked for three years with? Was it his greed? I mean, did he need the 30 pieces of silver so badly that he was willing to, again, walk away and, 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 and again, betray someone that had shown and demonstrated love to him for these three years? Some try to soften the effect of his actions. They say, well, actually, Judas was one of the zealots that were so against the Roman Empire, and probably what he was doing is he was trying to force the the hand of Jesus, trying to force the hand of Jesus to defend himself, and that it would hasten Jesus' place to go and take his stand as the reigning and ruling Messiah and usher in the new kingdom. So really, Judas had a a very good uh, kind of a higher standard. No, I want the kingdom of God to come, and so I'm betraying Jesus. No, that's not what our scriptures say at all. Others believe that it was out of the frustration that he felt because Jesus didn't come in as the reigning Messiah. And Judas simply turned him in out of of anger and, and, and out of frustration because of it. Others believe maybe it's due partly to a rebuff that he had received from Jesus. If you've got your Bibles there at Luke uh, 22, turn to the left a couple of uh, books there to Matthew chapter 26. Look at this real quick. I'm not going to comment on it, but I want to read it to you and I want you to catch it real quick. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning down in verse 6, we read these words. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, I don't believe that that was Judas's dad, just Simon the leper, another Simon. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on Jesus' head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. 
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word. From we-